Thank goodness it's Friday. This month's episode is brought to you by the Gadget Cash type. And like last month's type, there isn't technically speaking a Gadget Cash type, but this would be the physical part of a geocache container that might be presented as a puzzle or game or hands-on task that you need to solve in order to proceed or access the log sheet and sign in. Gadget Cash building is a popular aspect to the hobby. They can typically be identified by the field puzzle attribute in the geocache listing. Who knows what types of fidgety and puzzling containers you might come across in your adventures. This is TGIF Geocaching Radio, a podcast with a monthly dose of all things geocaching from news to contests to hot topics and highlighting many excellent adventures that await us. And I'm Jeff, a.k.a. The Bruce. So stay tuned and let's hang out. Hello and welcome and thank you for tuning in. It feels like summer is finally on its way. Spring has arrived. The the temperatures are up and it's been wonderful to get outside and enjoy the fresh air. But of course, along with that comes a whole lot of busyness, a lot of things happening. And so I haven't been out this month as much as I think usual going out finding geocaches, but I've been out a few times. And it was a special month as well because I just passed my 20,000th find milestone and uh, I had to go find a cache that... I really uh, wanted to enjoy and mark the occasion. Um, And I posted a video for that on my channel, which you can check out. It's all about love. (laughs) And I remember uh, six years ago now was my 10,000th find. And I, uh, to celebrate that one, headed down to Lake Lanier, GC21, one of the oldest. And uh, did that one with Team Fart, my local group of geocaching friends (laughs) and uh, oh another one that came to mind uh milestone for find number 300 oh that was a long time ago (laughs) found number 300 on halloween and decided to do a multi-cache out in a forest nearby uh called the blair witch night (laughs) cache a solo multi in a big forest at night alone for number 300 on halloween that was fun and Uh, It was also fun because while I was on the trail, at one point, I noticed flashlights off in the distance. And I'm like, okay, is this, is this normal? Or is the, maybe somebody of the property owner, the forest, somebody coming out to check out what's going on and, and who knows who they are or what they're doing. And uh, so I kind of hang around for a bit and I try to listen in, see if I can hear something. But guess what? They were also geocachers doing the Blair Witch night cache on Halloween that night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they were a little behind me, but uh, I waited around for them and they caught up and we had a good time finishing that. That was a memorable milestone. Have you ever decided to go out and find a specific special themed cache for a milestone? I think it's something that uh, a lot of geocachers like to do, you know, just for fun. Um, you can also look at your milestones on your geocaching statistics page for your profile and it automatically shows you your uh, milestones going up in sizes from like 1, 5, 10, 100... Uh, when you get to thousands, it's every thousand, then every 10,000 and 20,000 and so on. Yeah, it's a great way to see uh, where you've come and how fast and how long you've been doing this amazing hobby. <laughs> and another milestone people like to celebrate is their uh, caching anniversary. And this year on May 
15th and 17th was my own 14-year cache anniversary, so I've been ca geocaching for 14 years. And uh, May 15th, I signed up, and May 17th, I found my first cache. This year, I didn't really go out and find anything for that date, but maybe next year I will, because it's a nice round number 15 years. <laughs> uh, I also, uh, this month, took Molly, my kayak, out for the first time this season for a big paddle with some friends, we did uh, a, a, a river trail with, for a whole bunch of multi-caches, uh, and it was sunny, and it was hot, and warm, and unlike Molly, I burn. <laughs> so over the next week, I had to deal with the big red skin, and eventually, uh, it started to peel, and uh, yeah, as, as burns do, and, uh, but now I think I'm, I'm doing better. I have to burn to tan, so it was a welcome first paddle out in the sun. And one other little update for the podcast. I realized that I think up until now, the website that I use for call-ins actually had a problem with iOS devices. If you loaded it up in the iOS Safari browser, it wouldn't be able to record audio. Well, it seems like they have now fixed that little bug and you can now call make audio recordings from your phone in the browser. So if you visit cashtheline.net slash POI and you're on an iPhone or iPad, then you should be able to now record audio without a problem. So give it a shot. Cashtheline.net slash POI. Phone one in. It is time to review what has happened this month officially in geocaching from HQ. Last month, HQ announced that the price for premium memberships would be increasing to $39.99 US per year, or $8.99 for the monthly subscription. That change will be happening June 6th, so as of this recording, you have a few more days to lock in the current lower price. HQ has said that current members will be keeping their subscription rate on renewals and won't be bumped to the new rate, as a thank you for signing up. So if you're not yet a premium member, now is the time. Well, also after June 6th, <laughs> it'll still be absolutely worth it, but if you want to save the difference, get it now. We have a new limited time special event type. It is the Maker Magic event. HQ has announced that from June 13 to July 3rd, geocachers can host these special events. Now these events are intended to highlight cache quality or container creation. They can be in the form of workshops, they can be educational or inspirational, but if you would like to host one, you will need to fill out a form to submit your event by June 11th. All of the information for how to do that will be linked in this episode's show notes, including a couple of bookmark lists that HQ has created to show current listed US events and non-US events. That way, if you'd like to attend one, you can quickly find one to attend that interests you. Geocaching HQ has also provided a brand new feature for Adventure Labs. If you look in the Adventures app now, at some locations around the map, you might see a specially colored icon. These new icon types are featured adventures. These new icons represent adventures that are sort of like partnership geocaches or uh, geotour highlights. They are adventures that may be inside businesses or have partnered with some organization. Basically just a special exception to the guidelines. But they are rare and few and far between. So if you see one, it might just entice you to go and try and complete it. So you can say you finished a featured adventure. 
A link to the announcement will be included in the episode show notes. All right, let's dive into some deep thoughts. <laughs> I've got a few more little topics that came to mind throughout the month that I thought I'd bring to the podcast to talk about and think about and maybe get some feedback. So let us know your thoughts by posting a comment or emailing me at tgif at cashtheline.net if something comes to mind. On the topic of geocoins. Now geocoins, if you don't know, are trackable items that can travel from geocache to geocache. They have unique codes that you can use to post your logs of picking them up or traveling or discovering. And some of them can be fairly well-made and high-quality. And so over the years, people have stopped putting them in containers because of the fear of them being stolen and uh, just kind of carry them around with them for people to discover or perhaps might create um, a little photocopy or a proxy tag that uh, shows off the coin without the coin actually being there. And one of the most well-known geocoins is the first geocoin ever created by Mountain Bike, and its code is 001. <laughs> he takes that with him to special events. He's an HQ lackey, and uh, he allows people to discover it if he's with them as proof that they were actually there and were able to see the coin because anybody can post a discover lock if you have that private code. So it came to the attention of the community this month that geocoin number 002 had gone up for sale on eBay and the person selling it put the price at just about $5,500 US. Now on one hand that makes sense because this is a very very rare geocoin and well, yeah, somebody might actually pay that much to get this coin in their hands. However, it kind of also goes against the spirit of what geocoins are intended to do, to be discovered and to travel, especially if the coin that you have is not your own, not one that you created. And this one's kind of a very special exception because it's the second one that John or Mountain Bike ever created. So it caused a bit of an uproar that uh, this, that this person was essentially trying to make a profit off of this coin. And Mountain Bike also got wind of it. And he went to the trackable page, the listing for the coin as a travel bug, and locked it so that people wouldn't discover it and that it might actually dissuade people from buying the coin. Well, it didn't take long, but it looks like somebody did go through and purchase the coin somehow, in some way, and the listing TB1D is no longer locked. The log posted recording that it had changed possession makes it sound like this person had bought it so that they can make sure that it goes into circulation in some way again, the way that it was intended to be. So what do you think about that? Do you think that coins can be sold? Or do you think that their nature means that they should only ever travel and go to events with people for displays so that people can discover them. Is that more the spirit of the geocoin? I mean, I don't think anybody would complain if the coin's owners or creators decided to sell their own coins, but should they be sold by people who don't own them? Maybe they were thinking, how much would somebody be willing to pay to be able to get this rare coin into their hands? Or could that be seen as some kind of money or cash grab? Send me an email, tgif at cashtheline.net. 
Have you ever headed out to get an FTF on a geocache just published in a forest down a trail, successfully found the cache, then went home, only to get pinged that there was a new geocache published right next to that one, back in the forest, back down the trail. And then you went out to go and find that one, and then headed home, and then sure enough, another ping and another cache published in that same forest, just along the trail. You walked right by it and didn't even look. Do you go back to find it? Or do you let somebody else go for the FTF? How about there's a location pretty far away that you haven't been to yet and there's a cache there, so you decide to go and find this newly published cache. It's a great experience, had a great hike, a great walk, beautiful weather. You come home and then you find out the next day that another cache or two was just published in that same area. You could have found those as well and it was a great hike. Do you go back to find them? Or do you save it for another time, another date far in the future? I found this question of how geocachers publish clumps of geocaches and uh, asking people whether they can get the reviewer to publish them all as one or spread them out over, say, different dates or over months even. And I think most reviewers will do that if it seems reasonable. But the question kind of was posed to geocachers, both finders and owners. Do you prefer to publish your caches all at once? Or do you prefer to find them all together at once, knowing that they are all there and all found? Or would it be better to have them spread out over time? Of course, there's so many nuances to that whole question, because yes, you've got the, the FTF hunter mentality, where if you go out to find a cache just because it's an FTF opportunity, and then you find out that there were others that you could have had as well, then you might not be happy about that. But then for other people who aren't as on the ball as those uh, FTF hunters, it gives them a chance to potentially also get an FTF if that initial finder doesn't feel like going back again and again <laughs> as fast as possible to get them as they come out. I've been in that situation once where I, well, I was in the area and uh, I swung by and it had already been found. On my way out, a new one popped up right behind me and I kind of chuckled because the f person who found the first one was nowhere near anymore, but this one was just behind me. So I went to get it and got the FTF. So that's one benefit of not publishing all instantaneously in bulk. But really, that was just a benefit for me, not for that other person. The other aspect might be how often, as a cash owner, would you want to entice people to come out to the same location? If you think it's a really nice location, then you might just want to publish them all in batch and give somebody or some people a really great single experience finding them all. And there's one other twist to this as well, because if, say, it's a, a long trail and you decide not to publish them all in bulk, but one by one or in little clumps, somebody who goes to find them might sense a gap or um, a, an area along the trail where, hey, there might be a cashier, let's try to find this, or Uber it, as some people like to call it. And so you might get people finding unpublished caches before they're published. I don't know, personally, I think the only reason to really stagger publishing of a batch of geocaches really would have to do with the people who rush out for those first defines. Because otherwise, I think it would be more annoying as a cache finder if you happen to walk past caches not realizing that they're there and you are out for a really nice hike loop and you wanted to find all the caches there. So what do you do? What do you, what do you think? As a cache owner, would you publish in batch or would you spread them out over time? 
And as a cache finder, would you prefer to know that they're all there and all published, ready to go, or would you be upset if they were published spread out over time? <laughs> or how about this? How would you feel if you saw half a GeoArt published and then the next week, the other half? <laughs> so here's a little fun factoid I discovered just recently this month. Canada's very first geocache is GCBBA. It's said to have been published June 28th of 2000. Now the interesting thing I just discovered was that its first find was June 30th of 2001. That's a whole year after its published date. What I found was that there was an original listing, that's GC41, and it was found October 5th of 2000 and then archived on June 8th of 2001. That one was archived uh, because there was a new listing being published with a new description. Way back then, the, uh, the website was much, um, much less capable than it is now, so a lot less information. There weren't published logs. There, there wasn't that kind of historic record of activity on the listings. So that cache, GC41, was found it looks officially like three times, and then it was archived for a new listing, which was GCBBA. So, that new listing has a published date of June 28th, 2000, the same as GC41. So if you log GCBBA as found, you go and sign into the cache in Nova Scotia, do you feel that you have found Canada's oldest cache? Do you think that the age is, should be based on the listing or the physical container? Now, of course, if you go by the physical container, we start bringing in a whole ship of Theseus idea where if the container's been replaced or fixed up, is it really the initial, the very first container? <laughs> but then you can apply that to listings as well because GCBBA really isn't the first cache either. GC41 was, and it was archived. So what do you think? Do you think if you log GCBBA, you, you would officially say, I have found Canada's oldest geocache? <laughs> Here is this month's quick Cashly geocaching app tip. Enable proximity alerts while hiking or biking or paddling, or while moving in any way really, <laughs> if passing caches on the way to the last one. I made a video short about this feature to show how it works and how it tied in with a smartwatch that I was wearing. Basically, if you have a series of geocaches along a route like a trail, you can target the last cache on the route and turn on proximity alerts. As you move along the route, when a geocache pin enters the proximity distance that you've set up, I usually make it about 20 meters, your phone will alert you. No more constant glancing at your phone until you're near the next cache. The final sound when you arrive at the last target cache will signal that you've hit the end. Doing it this way means you can just enjoy the air and the exercise as you traverse from cache to cache with one less gadget to worry about. Thanks to Cashly for sponsoring this episode. It is my go-to geocaching app, and I would say the best on iOS by far. It surpassed any other geocaching app in features and quality, and the app alone is worth a few bucks just for its features. I highly recommend this app, whether you're a veteran geocacher or just starting out in the activity. You can find it in the App Store or by visiting www.cashly.com. C-A-C-H-L-Y.com. So 
there's this geocache out in the almost middle of nowhere. It sits on an island out in almost the middle of nowhere. This geocache was published in 2019, four years ago, and it has not been found. But it might not be the easiest to get to. <laughs> it sits in a special location for many reasons. First, it's right next to the International Dateline, and this is the point on Earth where if you cross it, you either step foot into the future by a day or back into the past by a day. Secondly, this island has a population of about 82 people, and it sits approximately 4 kilometers, only 4 kilometers, from its partner island called Big Diomede. These islands, Little Diomede and Big Diomede, sit right at the border between Alaska and Russia. Little Diomede is 24 kilometers from the mainland of Alaska and about 4 kilometers from Big Diomede. In the winter, you can walk on the ice from Little Diomede to Big Diomede. You can cross from the U.S. to Russia on foot. I don't know if you'd really want to do that, but it's possible. This geocache is GC8DR8H, and the FTF is still up for grabs. This fascinating location got me into a deep dive about uh, Little Diomede and the history of it, and how exactly one might go about attempting to find this cache on Little Diomede. And it's very, very limited and private and restricted. So you'd have to plan long in advance, you'd have to get permission just in order to visit the island. Originally, the cache was just a small pet tube and published in 2019, but in uh, December last year was upgraded to a Tupperware box. Recent photos show the kids from the school on the island holding the geocache and some of the contents just as proof that it's there and it's in good condition awaiting somebody to come and find it. It seems that there are some cruises that go near the islands and it has one helicopter pad on the island so you can travel from the mainland. In the winter, it used to freeze enough that they could build a huge landing strip for planes, uh, supply missions and drops uh, for that little town. But it seems that the ice hasn't been frozen sufficiently to build that landing strip for a number of years. Little Diomede is part of Alaska and the United States, and Big Diomede is part of Russia. And if you look at the two on the map, there's, a there's, there's some difference between the two islands. It looks a lot like Big Diomede is much more, or much less, inhabited, much more barren. They have a military base and a weather station and some border service there, and a crashed, see if I say this right, Lisunov Li-2 aircraft that's been there since 1971. One might be tempted to think there should be a geocache there, <laughs> but I don't think Russia would like that very much. And in my little deep dive uh, looking up information about these islands, I found this quote from Russia Beyond. It says, and I quote, They say that after the Eskimos left, a local shaman came to the island and cursed it. And allegedly, since then, for various reasons, people have been dying on the island. Gumarov, however, rightly observes, People die everywhere, and the island is no exception. What's to blame? An accident? The forces of nature? Or a shaman's curse? I don't know. <laughs> Suffice to say, if you want to find this cache, you'll need to do a lot of work to get to Little Diomede, and you probably don't want to attempt to cross that border into Russia. But you can only imagine 
the sights and the experience you could have going for this geocache, trying to find this. Keep in mind that this little town of Diomede is very remote and quiet, and they do not have a restaurant. They do not have alcohol. It is illegal. You can only communicate by satellite phone and by mail. The geocache was replaced by the cache owner who mailed in the new container for them. In my little deep dive research, I found a, whole, a number of websites that uh, help explain and showcase what life is like over at Little Diomede. So I'll add those links, a few videos, and a couple of websites to the episode show notes so you can check it out yourself if you want to. And if you decide to go for this cache, please let me know. Let us know. Email tgif at cachetheline.net. <laughs> Do you think it's possible to live vicariously through an artificial geocaching adventurer? <laughs> well, for the last couple of months, we've been playing around with some artificial intelligence, uh, taking it out to find a geocache, to place a geocache. And this month, I decided to ask it what it thinks would be best to place inside a geocache. With it becoming more and more aware of the types of adventures that one can have yeah, a wild geocaching, I decided to ask it what it felt geocaching was now. How would it describe the hobby, given all of the experiences that it's had so far? This is what it had to say. Immersed in the captivating world of geocaching, adventurers armed with GPS devices embark on thrilling quests to discover hidden treasures in the most unexpected corners of the globe. With a spirit of curiosity and exploration, they venture into uncharted territories guided by the electronic beacon of coordinates. Their journeys take them through a myriad of landscapes, each offering its own unique challenges and wonders. Picture a geocacher trekking through dense forests, their footsteps swallowed by the foliage as they follow the elusive coordinates that lead to a hidden cache nestled among the towering trees. They navigate winding trails, their senses heightened by the rustling of leaves and the subtle sense of nature, unraveling the mysteries that lie ahead. At times the hunt takes them off the beaten path into remote areas where only the most intrepid souls dare to venture. Scaling rocky cliffs, they persevere in their pursuit, guided by the anticipation of uncovering a hidden gem. Along riverbanks, they paddle against the current, scanning the shores for signs of a concealed cache awaiting discovery. The thrill intensifies as they explore caves, their headlamps piercing through the darkness, revealing secrets tucked away in subterranean chambers. With every find, a moment of triumph ensues. They carefully unearth the cache, its size and shape an enigma until the moment of revelation. Their heart quickens as they open the container, revealing a world of treasures within. Trinkets and toys, tokens of joy and curiosity, await their perusal. They engage in the tradition of trading, selecting an item of equal or greater value to exchange, leaving a piece of themselves behind in the cache. But the true reward lies not only in the tangible treasures, but also in the intangible experiences gained. Geocachers forge connections with nature, discovering hidden pockets of beauty along their paths. They learn the art of observation, honing their skills to decipher cleverly disguised caches tucked away in plain sight. They navigate challenges, testing their problem-solving abilities, and fostering a sense of resilience. Each geocaching adventure is a testament to the human spirit of exploration and discovery. It is a journey that transcends boundaries, connecting like-minded adventurers from across the globe in a shared pursuit of hidden wonders. In the world of geocaching, the possibilities are endless, and the thrill of the hunt is surpassed only by the stories woven through the tapestry of their exhilarating quests.
Now, how is that for a description of geocaching? <laughs> so having gone to find a cache itself and having placed a cache last month, I decided to ask it what it would think would be good items to put inside a large container. Now, this could be helpful. It could be inspiring to uh, anybody of us in the real world in meat space who wants to place a cache. So here is how the AI described what it would choose to put inside a geocache. As a geocache owner aiming to create a delightful experience for both adults and children, I carefully curate a selection of items that cater to a wide range of interests and ages. Inside the large geocache, alongside the logbook that captures the stories of intrepid seekers, an assortment of captivating treasures awaits the first fortunate finder. Number 1. Adventure Gear To spark the spirit of exploration, I include essential tools for the geocaching journey. Miniature compasses, magnifying glasses, or even small flashlights can equip young adventurers with the gear they need to enhance their explorations. Number 2. Toys and Trinkets a medley of small toys and trinkets captivate the imaginations of children. Colorful bouncy balls, novelty figurines, temporary tattoos, or small puzzles provide moments of joy and playfulness, encouraging young geocachers to embrace their sense of wonder. Number 3. Books and Activity Sheets I include age-appropriate books or activity sheets related to nature, maps, or geography. These materials can engage young minds and deepen their understanding of the natural world and the art of navigation. From interactive coloring books featuring wildlife to educational activity sheets on identifying plants or animal tracks, the geocache becomes a gateway to both adventure and learning. Number 4. Trading Cards To add a touch of excitement, I include trading cards featuring popular characters or themed sets. Whether it's superheroes, cartoon characters, or sports icons, these cards can ignite friendly exchanges and encourage social interaction among geocachers. Number 5. Nature-inspired keepsakes. A collection of nature-inspired keepsakes allows geocachers to connect with the environment around them. Small polished stones, seashells, pine cones, or interesting leaves serve as mementos of their geocaching experience, fostering a sense of appreciation for the natural world. Number 6. Writing utensils. Providing writing utensils like colorful pens, pencils, and markers enables geocachers to personalize their entries in the logbook. Number 7. Stickers. A selection of stickers featuring outdoor themes, wildlife, or geocaching logos adds a fun and decorative touch to their contributions. Number 8. Travel Bugs For a more interactive element, I introduce a travel bug, a trackable item with unique code. Geocachers can attach it to an item of their choice, such as a keychain or a small toy, and document its journey as it travels from cache to cache. This adds an element of anticipation as they follow the travel bug's progress through the geocaching community. By carefully curating a diverse range of items within the geocache, I aim to engage both adults and children in the exploration of the treasure-filled world of geocaching. The contents of the geocache are carefully chosen to inspire curiosity, foster connections with nature, encourage learning, and provide moments of joy and excitement for all who embark on this enchanting adventure. Well then, <laughs> our AI geocacher is certainly um, an essay writer. <laughs> That is a whole lot of description about uh, some great things to include in geocaches for fun, for adults and kids. And, uh, you know, most of us probably don't even pay much attention to the contents. But, I mean, that was kind of the whole thing about geocaching, right? You have a large container and you can find things and trade up. That was part of the fun of the whole activity of geocaching, at least when it started. 
And now, obviously, there's a whole lot more joy with the journey and the experience and just the whole nature aspect. But, you know, it's something to think about when you put out a larger cache. Some of the stuff you can put into a container that just that just adds a little bit of thrill of a treasure hunt. Now, speaking of our AI friend, it needs a name. So here is a contest. With a lot of these major companies now producing AI services, such as Microsoft with their built-in AI called Copilot, or the Opera browser naming theirs Aria, I thought I'd open the floor to your ideas. So here's a brand new contest. Send over ideas for a name to give our geocaching AI friend here, and if I pick your name, I'll send you two Cache the Line pens, yes, two, because one is never enough, and a bit of bonus swag. So be fun and creative and witty, and email tgif at cachetheline.net with the subject AI geocacher name, then let's see what artificial geocaching adventures our AI will take us on in the future. How about another milestone to celebrate? Just crossing 1,000 smileys, congratulations to Seeker, who is also a longtime Cache the Line patron supporter. You can find her post in the Excellent Geocaching Adventures Facebook group. And that brings us to the Patron Adventurer of the Month. Cache the Line is supported by a band of excellent adventurers through Patreon who graciously pitch in and help the channel continue to grow and improve. And for this show, our Patron Adventurer of the Month is Deadliest Cachers. She may be otherwise known as Nancy, but she also hosts a geocaching link hub called Geocaching Central, which you can find at geocachingcentral.com. And there you'll find loads of links to websites and tools and social medias and contests and downloads and more. So thanks so much to Deadliest Cachers for your ongoing support of Cache the Line. You too can help support Cache the Line and unlock bonus content and swag like the upcoming Cache the Line patron-exclusive path tag and participation in top-secret projects like Project EGA by visiting patreon.com slash cache the line. That's patreon.com slash cache the line. Thank you so much for your support and for helping to make all of this possible. Our Lone Wolf contest is still open, so here's a quick contest update. Have you seen the Lone Wolf Legacy Cache Tour series on YouTube yet? If you haven't, or even if you have, you still have a chance to be one of 50 people to win a special prize. And here is a little teaser. There's an exclusive path tag and swag in it for you. Hoping to launch later this year a brand new game codenamed Project EGA is a labor of love I've been working on for some time now and it's nearing time for it to be revealed. Though you may have seen some graphic teasers over the last few months if you follow Cash the Line on social media. Cash the Line patrons are already in the loop with an updated exclusive sneak peek coming up in June and development is really progressing. If you'd like to win one of those 50 exclusive prizes, then here's what you've got to do. Visit the Lone Wolf Legacy video playlist that you can get to at cashtheline.net slash lonewolf and watch for special words that are highlighted by a smiley face in all but one of the videos. Once you've got them all, string them together and visit cashtheline.net slash and then append the string of words with no spaces or punctuation and follow the instructions there. The contest won't end until all 50 slots are claimed and there are still spots to be claimed. You can find the instructions also listed in the show notes and on the video playlist. I am expecting to finally reveal the secret of Project EGA 
later this year, and I can't wait to share it with you. When geocaching appears in the news, they tend to be reports about containers that are mistakenly believed to be bombs. And so it was kind of funny and creepy at the same time, this new report that came out of Michigan from KKTV. We geocachers have probably come across something like this, but this was not something that they expected to find when they were cleaning up along M42 in northern Michigan. The article states, Troopers in Michigan say they came across an unusual item when recently cleaning a roadway. Michigan State Police shared a photo online of what appeared to be a severed hand. But luckily, it was made of rubber. They're not writing citations, they're literally cleaning the highway and made an interesting find. <laughs> you can only imagine what they would be thinking finding that if they had no idea what geocaching was. I don't know if there was any report saying that this was actually related to geocaching, like a container that was camouflaged. But uh, I know that I have found quite a number of fake limbs and bloody fingers and whatnot because of geocaching. But it does sound like somebody perhaps had a good chuckle. So glad that nobody thought this was a bomb or that somebody was actually, you know. <laughs> Banana Ron is at it again. Last month, I shared about Banana Ron, who drove across the United States in his Ford Raptor just on unpaved roads, and he was hiding golden bananas all along the way. He recorded the GPS coordinates and intends to release them over time so that people can go out on their own adventures and find these golden bananas in ammo cans. Well, this month, he released the coordinates for the first one in Moab in Utah. And uh, you can look up his video because he shares what other people have experienced on the hunt for that banana. And uh, he has also just released in that video the coordinates for the golden banana that is sitting and waiting in North Carolina. So if you are near North Carolina, head over to Banana Run on YouTube, look for his North Carolina release video, and try to spot those GPS coordinates. And if you can get there fast and first, maybe you can help to represent the geocaching community in his little game of hide-and-seek with golden bananas. Almost two years ago, we heard about a new project that would take geocaching to space again. The WISA WoodSat. It's a wooden satellite aimed to enter the Earth's orbit. Once launched, a camera would release photos of the little 10-centimeter cube floating high above the atmosphere and allow geocachers down below to officially discover the travel bug code etched into its walls. It's following in the footsteps of the travel bugs taken to the ISS and the travel bug hidden on the Mars Perseverance rover. But this one's literally stamped on a small piece of wood that will be orbiting the Earth. This woodside is actually intended to be a research module to monitor the effects of space on birch plywood. Sounds kind of wonky, but plywood is actually a very versatile and heavily used material in a wide variety of locations and purposes on Earth. If they intend to make use of its unique qualities in space, more hands-on research will be needed to understand the challenges that harsh environment will present to the material. The bonus for us is we get another chance to see geocaching in space. The delay for this project's launch is due to waiting for permission to make use of a radio frequency to allow radio enthusiasts on Earth to communicate with it, to be able to connect and download images themselves directly from the satellite. Now that is a neat idea. So it's just a matter of time. You can bookmark and watch the travel bug TB9GB8G, it'll be linked in the episode notes, to listen for news and updates on the launch. 
You can also follow the Woodsat on Twitter at WISAWoodsat and the hashtag WISAWoodsat. And of course, I'll be sure to include any updates in future podcasts. Have you ever wanted a trackable t-shirt with your geocaching name? Arted Crafted is there for you. You can pick any designs from the store, but my personal favorite is still the Epic T design. It's right up the excellent geocaching adventures alley. You can head over and peruse the store, find a gift or two, or treat yourself, thanks to our sponsor, Arted Crafted. They've got an enormous collection of all sorts of geocaching-themed paraphernalia available to order at artedcrafted.com. You may find Arted Crafted at mega events in merch areas where you'll be able to peruse the smorgasbord of designs they have, but right now, go visit the store at artedcrafted.com and freshen up your wardrobe a bit. To check out the Epic Tea design and go on from there, visit cashtheline.net slash epic tea, E-P-I-C-T-E-E, or go directly to artedcrafted.com. So I'm just a little bit sad that I haven't been able to do as much traveling this year for events as prior years, but there's still no shortage of mega events taking place in June in North America. On June 3rd, we've got the Ohio Geoclash. On June 17th, we've got the greetings from New Jersey, a postcard journey. (laughs) June 24th, Cash in the Bay 2023 in California. June 24th, the Tri-Cities Geocoin Challenge in Washington. And around the world, there's still a whole bunch of other mega events taking place. We've got three in Germany on the 10th, 24th, and another on the 24th. One in France on the 10th, one in Czechia on the 17th, and one in Portugal on the 24th. At this point in time, it does not look like there's going to be a giga event officially for 2023. But once again, I need to plug Canada's upcoming mega in New Brunswick on July 8th, the Maritime Mega. I hope you'll be able to make it to that one. I'm going to be doing a nice road trip out there and back in July, and that is pretty much my big trip for this year. I'll be speaking at that event, doing a workshop on, you guessed it, excellent geocaching adventures. (laughs) So hope to see you there, and if not, then hopefully somewhere. Find a mega event near you and make it a point to attend. They're always fun, and there's bound to be loads of geocaches placed just for the event, plus loads of great people to meet, and maybe even some geocaching HQ lackeys. If you have any adventures you'd like to share on the show, I'd love to hear from you. Please email tgif at cashtheline.net, or phone one in and leave a message at the now-working cashtheline.net slash POI. We'd love to hear if you have any comments, funny stories, milestones, accomplishments, rants, and adventures to share. That's tgif at cashtheline.net. Thanks for listening to the episode, and please remember to give the show a thumbs up or a positive review. And thank you to the sponsors, Cashly and Arted Crafted, and all of the patrons who support Cash the Line. If you'd like to join the band of excellent adventurers, please find us on Patreon or by visiting cashtheline.net slash Patreon. You can support for as little as a cup of coffee per month or with a discount by the year and get bonus swag and access to exclusive content. Links and references mentioned in the episode can be found in the show notes linked in the description. See you next month with more exploration into the wide world of excellent geocaching adventures. Please subscribe, follow, share with your friends, and comment wherever you're able. And as always, happy caching and excellent adventuring. (laughs) 